Amen. Well, it's a privilege to be able to preach today. Um, if you didn't know, Mar- Mark, Pastor Mark, is uh, he is out uh, on mission trip to Spain. Uh, that team's making their way back. And so uh, that, that's what's taking place. Um, and I have the opportunity to preach today. Uh, before we go any further, uh, I wanted to just acknowledge we don't this doesn't need a whole a whole section of time, uh, but just acknowledge that today's Alan's birthday. So <laughs> he he really, really likes attention being called to that. And so uh, I'm restraining myself right now. Uh, <laughs> question for you. When was the last time that you were scared of a storm? So think back, may have been last week, may have been years ago. Was there ever a time that a storm scared you? And then think about why. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I had the opportunity to be the uh, director out at Camp Zephyr. uh, Our students go to session two of Camp Zephyr. There are actually four sessions. Um, And Alan and I serve on a team that kind of puts those sessions together. And so uh, we were out at camp for session two, but I also had the opportunity to come out uh, session three uh, out to Camp Zephyr and help direct that camp. Now, when you're directing camp, uh, camp is Monday through Friday, but when you're director, there's a Sunday night uh, staff meeting that you have to be at. And so I had to leave Sunday. A couple Sundays ago, I had to leave here. I loaded up my car and I headed down to camp. Now, camp is out towards Corpus. Uh, so if you're driving down 37 out of San Antonio, uh, exit 47, Swinney Switch is the one you uh, you take to get out to camp. Uh, but I knew Sunday, a couple Sundays ago, I knew that I was going to have to get dinner. Uh, before I went out there, dinner was not going to be served, and so I needed to take care of myself before that. And so, uh, of course, I just think of where's their barbecue, um, and so I knew, I knew that in Mathis, there's, uh, there's actually a couple of good barbecue places, but there was one in particular that I'd eaten at before. And I wanted to go eat barbecue in Mathis, and Mathis is just seven more exits down, uh, seven more miles down uh, from, from the exit that you take to camp. And so um, I'm driving, and I'm headed. I, I've got barbecue on my mind. I'm headed down 37, and you kind of see off in the distance the storm clouds are forming. You know, they're, they're, the clouds are, are black. And you can see the rain coming down like it's starting to, to form. And I pass by that, that uh, exit to camp, headed towards Mathis. And, and as, as soon as I go under the overpass, it's right past that exit, the rain starts coming down. And it was a lot of rain. I mean, it was coming down hard. There was a lot of rain. It, it was coming down so much that, that the cars started to, that everyone turned on their lights. Everyone turned on their flashers, and people even moved over into the shoulder and stopped on the shoulder to kind of wait the storm out. I wasn't going to do that. I had barbecue on my mind. So I just kept going. But, but we slowed down. Like, I was going 30 miles an hour. I had my flashers on. I had my lights on. I could see the car in front of me, and I could see their flashers. And, and there, there were the, the, the white line, the yellow line. I could see where I was going. Uh, but, but that was about it. Uh, at some point, you know, it was just seven miles. At some point, the rain stopped, and it was blue skies, and everything was behind me. Uh, so I, I knew that uh, I knew that I was I was good. I was good to go. I was headed to go get some some barbecue, and I I took the exit to to Mathis, and I I pulled over uh, right where that barbecue place is. And um, some of you will get this that that the quality of barbecue is inversely proportional to the quality of the building. So I'll let some of you catch up on that. <laughs> Give you a second. And then, so this building really is a dump. 
And I knew it. I'd been there before. It was not, it was not a great building. It's, it's essentially an old portable building. Um, that's kind of where they serve out of. And then uh, where the customers sit is just a screened-in porch is really all it is. Uh, but the food is really, really, really good. So, so I went there. I got some brisket. I'm about to make y'all hungry. I got some brisket and some ribs and some beans and some rice. And I sit down to eat. And, and about the time that I'm sitting down to eat, the rain starts coming down again, which was kind of surprising because I thought I drove through the storm. There wasn't, a, there wasn't any more rain. But, but there was. There was a bunch more rain, and it started to come down even harder than it had before. And, and then it was accompanied by thunder and lightning. Loud thunder and lightning, and, and the thunder and the lightning was getting closer and closer and more frequent, and one after another, and it was, it was bad enough to where I was looking out the, the screened-in porch window, I was looking out the window, and you would see the lightning, and you would hear the thunder almost simultaneously, which tells you, it's right here, this, this storm is right here. Um, now, I'm not really generally scared of storms. But I was a little uncomfortable in this situation. And you could tell all the customers at the restaurant, they were uncomfortable with the situation. They, you know, everyone, no one's talking, for one thing. That was kind of weird. Nobody's talking. And, and everybody, anytime there was one of these loud thunders, um, uh, the people in the restaurant, the customers, everybody's eyebrows would go up like, like are, we, are we okay in here? Like, is this going to be fine? Well, at some point, the, um, the owner of the restaurant goes outside to the smoker, and he, he's getting rained on, and he comes back in, and he's got that look on his face like, are we okay here? Now, if you wanted to know anything about me, like as we get to know one another, one of the things that um, you will find is that when I'm uncomfortable, I make jokes. So I'm pretty uncomfortable in this situation, not like preaching situation, but the situation that I'm dis- uh, discovering here. Um, I, I was... Uh, I was uh, uncomfortable. The owner comes in. He's soaking wet. His eyebrows are raised. And I say, hey, uh, is this building going to hold up? Uh, I was joking mostly. And uh, he says, he says, probably not. <laughs> it's good that you're laughing because I, you know, maybe he also makes jokes when he's uncomfortable. <laughs> But I didn't really think it was that funny. So I, uh, I decided to clarify a little bit and, and half joking, I said, well, should I get my food uh, to go and then head to my car? And he says, you're probably fine. See, there's that word probably again. I don't, I don't really deal in uncertainty very well. Uh, Wednesday night, uh, a lot of the a lot of the youth were out at mission trip, but there was still a Wednesday night happening. Powerhouse still happened, and so Chris and I kind of poked our heads over there to make sure everything was good to go. And and there were going to be uh, there was some candy available. And so you know when you're uh, an adult, a responsible adult, the most responsible thing you should do is is make sure that the the candy is safe and edible and delicious. And so we uh, we tested out the candy, and I found some gobstoppers. If you know. Gobstoppers are like they're hard candy, like jawbreakers, um, just these little gobstoppers. And I ate some, and it wasn't gross, but something was wrong with it, you know, like so much so that I looked for an expiration date. Um, so I was kind of looking on this package for an expiration date. They just didn't taste right. Uh, but I didn't find an expiration date, but what I did find was one of those uncertainties that I don't like. The uncertainty on the gobstoppers package was it said may contain eggs. And so I... 
that sounded disgusting to me. That, that wasn't something that I envisioned in hard candy was may contain eggs. It's these uncertainties that I don't enjoy or uh, really appreciate. And it's one of these uncertainties that this guy expressed. No, you're probably fine. Um, man, I, there was enough thunder and lightning that I decided I just wanted out of there. So I got a to-go box and I filled it with some with whatever barbecue I had left, and I I headed out to my uh, out to my car. Now it's still pouring down rain. By the time it took me to get from my car to the parking lot to my car was five six seconds. I ran really fast. You should have seen it. It was amazing. <laughs> I uh, uh, but I got soaking wet and I slipped in the mud, opening my car door, slipped in the mud, banged my knee in my car, and dropped my barbecue in my car. So like to this day, my knee is still bruised and there's still rice in my car. That rice is going to be there forever. I'll never get that out. Um, so I, I get in my car. I head to Zephyr. Everything's fine. When I get to camp, it's like seven miles away. So camp is not far from where we are. It is blue skies, dry. It has not rained a drop there. And I get out of my car, and I'm covered in rice and, like, limping and, like, soaking wet. And I'm like, what? What happened to you? What, what's wrong? It's like, it's not raining here? That was That was the last storm that I... I was afraid of. It was a couple of weeks ago. Now you, you could, you could probably think, um, if you've ever experienced a tornado or a hurricane or, this isn't really weather, but I was thinking about the earthquakes o- over on the west coast, uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, what, what's the emotion that you feel? It's fear. Right? It's, it's fear. Like, I, I need to get out of this situation, and I can't. There's nothing. Like, I was thinking about an earthquake. You need to go somewhere, but where are you going to go? The ground is shaking. Where are you going to go? And you people from California are like, ah, you're, you're a wuss. We got it. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's that emotion of terror, of fear. You need something to protect you. And the problem that I had a couple of weeks ago, it wasn't necessarily the storm, the thunder and the lightning. I've heard thunder and lightning before, though not like this. But the problem was that I was in a building that was just a screened-in porch. Will the building hold up? Probably not. No is the answer. It wouldn't have. I needed somewhere else to go. Now, I would say, listen, I would say that many of us in the room right now, we're living our lives this way. Like, we know there is a storm coming. We know that the day of the Lord is coming, the day when He's going to call us all to account. And we're going to have to answer for every deed, every word that we say, every motive that we have, and we will stand face to face with our Maker. And we wonder, what what will be His pronouncement of us? We live our lives in the probably, in the maybe. And the things that we are clinging to at the end of the day, will they defend us? Probably not. The things that you and I are looking toward on that great day of the Lord, those things will not hold. And so today I want to look at a passage of Scripture. It's difficult to understand. uh, But I think that if we can try to grab hold of it, it's something that will give us freedom It'll give us hope, and it'll give us life. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Galatians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 10. It'll also be on the screen if you, don't, you didn't bring a Bible. Um, so Paul is writing this letter called Galatians. He's writing it to a group of people. Uh, it's some, some churches that are located in the region of Galatia. 
Galatia is a region. There are some cities located in this region. And Paul, on his first missionary journey, you can read about it in the book of Acts. Paul travels to these cities. He shares the gospel with people. People get saved and churches start to form. But Paul kind of swoops in, preaches the gospel, and then he leaves. Well, after Paul leaves, some new teachers show up. Uh, They're known as the Judaizers. The the Judaizers come in, and they uh, their message is this. First of all, who is Paul, and where does he get his authority? But but second of all, second of all, yeah, Jesus is the Messiah, but but also in order to be saved, you also have to become a Jew. That's what they were teaching. Yes, trust in Jesus as the Messiah, but also you got to follow the law. You got to keep a list of rules. You got to keep up with the festivals. And they they come in teaching that that Paul wasn't exactly right. Well, Paul gets wind of this. He writes the letter of Galatians. And if you've ever read through the letter, there's a famous line that probably sticks out to you. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In other words, who has cast a spell on you? Who has done this to you that you would forget the things that I taught you and apply these new false doctrines? Well, this morning we're going to look at the heart of what Paul teaches. It's in Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 10. Well, let's look at God's word together. Paul writes, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Now, Father, we ask this morning that you would Send your Holy Spirit to open your word and communicate truth to us here in this room right now. Not just truth that we understand with our minds and understand the logic of it, but, Lord, that we would understand with our hearts and we would look to Christ in faith. Lord, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's break down what Paul is saying. Uh, A real quick summary. Two Two ways to be found innocent before God. When you stand before God and He calls you to account, there are two ways that you can approach this situation. First, keeping the law. There are those who will try to keep the words of the law, to try to be a good rule follower. That's one way you can try to stand before God, a law keeper. And many of us in the room would say that we are good at keeping rules. Like when we think about the law, we think about the Ten Commandments. And you look at the Ten Commandments, and I'm pretty good at at keeping those. I don't really do bad things, at least not bad things you can see. Like, um, I, I, I I don't steal. I don't lie too much. I don't murder. Like we, Like, I'm pretty good at... Keeping the law. But what the text tells us is something that's very important. It says all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. A curse. Jesus interacted with a man that illustrates this point for us. You see, one day uh, Jesus um, had this encounter with a man and the man says, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus responds, well, keep the law. The guy says, which part of the law should I keep? 
Like, what do you have in mind? And Jesus gives them a sampling, and he kind of pulls his sampling from the Ten Commandments. Now, uh, if you've never thought of this before, maybe, but the Ten Commandments are organized. And the way that they're organized is there are vertical commandments and there are horizontal commandments. There are vertical commandments that have to do with your relationship with God. And then there are some commandments that are horizontal. They have to do with your relationship with others. That's the way the Ten Commandments are organized. Well, Jesus pulls a sampling of commandments. He pulls them from the horizontal commandments. He says, you know, keep the commandments like don't steal, don't lie, honor your parents. And the man says, well, I've done all that. I've kept all those things. So am I good? Am I good to go? Jesus' response, he doesn't outright say no, but what he does is he's going to cause this man uh, to really think about um, if he's keeping all the commandments. So Jesus gets to the heart of the matter. He says, great, you've kept all the commandments. One thing you lack, what you need to do, sell all your possessions, take the money, give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. And the Bible says the man turned around and left sad because he had great possessions. He was rich. See, he was good at keeping part of the law, the horizontal commandments, but he wasn't so good at keeping the vertical commandments, like the one that says, uh, you shall have no other gods before me. And this man loved his possessions and his wealth more than he loved God. He left that day condemned in his wickedness. That's the curse of the law. That all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Why? Paul explains in, in verse 10, he says, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. How's that for inclusive language? Everyone. All. There is no one left out of this statement. There is no law left out of this statement. That everyone who doesn't keep all the laws is cursed. And this curse of the law is the penalty levied for not keeping it perfectly. Paul tells us in Galatians that the law is good, but the reason the law is good is because it functions like guardrails. Like it shows us, um, it shows us how we should live and what's inbounds and what's out of bounds. It's like a light that shines on us when we have stepped into the darkness. So the law is good, but the law doesn't really help us stand righteous before God. Paul says in verse 11 that no one is justified before God by the law. The law can point, point out where we failed, but it cannot make us righteous. And so anyone who would try to keep a list of rules in order to stand before God is cursed because you will fail. This is a dead end. Now, when I was living in Kentucky, I needed a part-time job. So I applied everywhere. I had all kind of applications out. I had all kind of interviews uh, uh, that I needed to, to follow up on. And, and one place that I had an interview was Sylvan Learning Center. We were living in Louisville, Kentucky, but Sylvan Learning Center was located in Indiana, just over the Ohio River. So I had to go to my job interview at Sylvan Learning Center. And uh, this was before smartphones and GPS. I actually imagined this. I had to go to the computer, to MapQuest, and type in the address print out two or three pages of directions and carry two or three pages to my car and follow those directions as I was driving. Unimaginable, right? So I follow these directions exactly to a T. When I get to the end of the page, you have arrived at your destination. And I'm sitting in my car in a neighborhood with houses on both sides of me and a dead end in front of me. 
So then in very small print at the very bottom of the directions, I, I read a little bit further. It said, well, we couldn't find the exact address you were looking for, so we gave you directions to the middle of the zip code. How is that helpful? I was at a dead end. I had to, I, I had to find a supermarket, right? No, no cell phone, okay? There, there are cell phones, but they don't work the way they work now. Uh, so I had, to fi- I had to find a supermarket somewhere, and I had to get the Yellow Pages of all things. Uh, and find Sylvan Learning Center in the Yellow Pages, call them, tell them what was happening. They told me how to get to their place. I didn't get the job. Uh, <laughs> I didn't get that job. So uh, I found myself at a dead end with, with nowhere to go. Even though I felt like I followed exactly what I was supposed to be doing, I found myself at a dead end. Thus, when you try to keep the law in order to stand righteous, you find yourself at a dead end. You are cursed because you can't do it. That's the first way to try to stand innocent before God is to try to try to be perfect. And the problem is it's a cursed dead end. But there is a second way. Paul explains in Galatians 3, the, the second way is the way of faith. And it's evident that no one is justified before God by the law. And Paul continues in that verse, verse 11, he quotes the prophet Habakkuk. He reaches back into the Old Testament and he quotes the prophet Habakkuk, where Habakkuk wrote, The righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Faith has always been the way that God has interacted with humanity. Faith has always been the way uh, to stand righteous before God. That's always been the case. There hasn't been some shift in the New Testament. That's the way it's always functioned. That's the way Abraham, who, by the way, was before the law, that's how he stood righteous before God was by faith. And also, that's how the law works anyway. The only way the law worked for the Jewish people was if they had faith in God, that they trusted his promises, that they believed what he said was true. Faith is the thing that works. It's, it's faith. That's how God has always operated. Faith is trust. It is believing God's promise. It's believing that what God has said is true. That what God has promised will stand. That if God has said it, then it must be so. Even though my eyes don't quite see it working out the way that He says it will, I believe it. It must be so. That is what faith is. And when, when we place our faith in Christ, we find the way of life. We find the way of blessing. If you, if you live your life trying to keep a list of rules, you find yourself cursed. But if you live your life in the way of faith, of belief, of trust in God, then you are blessed. And how can these things be? Paul tells us in verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. See, the way of the law says we are cursed because we can't do it. But the way of faith says we are blessed because we don't have to. Christ has redeemed us from the curse. He has purchased us. He has paid the price necessary in order to move us from a category of cursed to a category of blessed. And what was the price that he paid for our redemption? Paul 
alludes to it in verse 13. He actually, again, he goes back to the Old Testament and he pulls something from the book of Leviticus. See, in the book of Leviticus, it says that, that any man that is hanged upon a tree is cursed by God. And Paul says here that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For everyone who's hanged on a tree is cursed. Christ Jesus hung on a tree that he might pay the penalty of our sins so that if we look to him in faith, we can find forgiveness of sin. And when we place our faith in Jesus, the transaction that takes place is the curse that belongs to me for being a lawbreaker is placed on him. And he becomes the curse for me. Jesus had an interaction with a woman in Scripture uh, who illustrates this kind of faith that is necessary, that illustrates this, this curse exchange. So Jesus is going to heal somebody. He's on his way to heal somebody, and he's interrupted uh, by a woman. And this woman has been ill. Uh, she's sick. She's been bleeding for 12 years, and, and nobody can figure out why. And if we were to look at the Levitical law back in the Old Testament, we would find out that she's considered unclean. As a matter of fact, not only was she unclean, anything she touched was also unclean. Any one she touched was also unclean. And who did this woman touch? In Matthew chapter 9, you'll find this story. She comes up behind Jesus and she reaches out and she grabs the fringe of, of his garment because she says, if, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was healed. See, the law says anyone who bleeds in this way is unclean. Any person that, that, this, that she touches is unclean. And so Jesus says, then touch me. I'll be cursed. You'll be well. Your faith has made you well, Jesus says. That's the blessing. When we look to Christ in faith, he takes the curse of the law upon himself and we receive the gift of forgiveness. We receive the gift of justification. That's, that means the, the right to stand before God as not guilty. By faith in Jesus. See, there are two ways to stand before God. There are two ways to try to find rest, uh, refuge in the midst of the storm of the day of the Lord. Uh, we can choose the screened-in porch of the law, or we can choose the fortress of faith in Christ. Which way are you going to take on that day? Or maybe a better question is, what, which path are you taking now? Are you trying to gain God's favor by the work of the law? You try to keep the, 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 the words of the law and live it out perfectly. And we've already il illustrated that this is impossible. If we read in the New Testament, we looked at the book of James, you'd see that if you're guilty of, of uh, disobeying one of the commands, you're guilty of disobeying all of them. What James means is that uh, if you break one law, you are moved into a category of lawbreaker. Or you could imagine the law as one long chain. And if you break just one link of that chain, you have broken the whole thing. And Jesus takes it up a notch. 
He says, you, you've heard it said in the law, don't murder. And if, you're murder, if you murder somebody, then uh, you're, you're guilty of hell. Well, I'm telling you that if you've been angry with your brother, you're guilty of the same thing. As a matter of fact, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But if you look after a woman with lustful intent, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. You're guilty of the same thing. See, Jesus is pointing out in the Sermon on the Mount that, that it's not just the letter of the law that matters. It's, it's the heart of it all. It's the motive of your heart. Your heart is mission control. Your heart is, is why you do what you do. And what we find from the story of Scripture is that all of our mission controls are broken. They're flawed. They're skewed. From the get-go, we cannot keep the law. We can't do it. And so trying to keep the law is a dead end. You know this. I don't think there's many people in the room right now that have read the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and you counted up all 611 commandments, and you're trying to keep all 611. I don't think there's anyone in the room who's doing that, but I do think that deep down, many of us are modern-day Judaizers. Remember, the Judaizers were the ones who said, uh, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, he's the one we should follow, but also you have to become a Jew and keep all of the laws. I think in this room right now, there are modern-day Judaizers in the sense that when you try to be perfect, you try to be perfect, and then when you're not, you penalize yourself. Like you say with your lips, nobody's perfect, and I know Jesus will forgive me, but then, because of your sin, on the inside, you punish yourself. And you beat yourself up over your sin and you wallow in self-pity and doubt and shame and guilt and condemnation. And that causes all sorts of anxiety and depression. And then you start withdrawing from people. You withdraw from the church. You withdraw from the people of God. Eventually you withdraw from God himself. This is not just an anecdotal observation either. There's a professor at Oklahoma University named Samuel Perry. And he has done this study. And the study that he has done has been over Christians, over churches. This, this could be a description of our church. This could be a, a statistical study on our church. He has this, this term that he uses, moral incongruence. Let me explain moral incongruence to you. So as a church, we have some values. We have some things that we would say are right and wrong, black and white, objectively no wiggle room, this is right, this is wrong. Uh, uh, we, we have these, this set of values. But then we come over here and we do the thing that we say is wrong. Not by accident, but willfully and consistently we do the wrong thing. Let me give you a light example, okay? Uh, so we would say, we would teach our children, we would share this on Facebook, uh, be kind and generous. That That is... Something you should live by, that's something you should strive to be all the time, kind and generous. And all of you are nodding your head. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Well, then we go and we drive on I-35. And we're not kind. And we're not generous. Like, get at the end of the line, buddy. Right? That, that's moral incongruence. 
We say this is important and then we willfully and consistently do the other thing. You could probably, if, if you thought about it, you could probably think of some darker, some deeper areas where we say this is objectively wrong. 100% wrong. And then in your life you go and you do it consistently and willfully. That's moral incongruence. And what Samuel Perry's studies have shown is the results of this over time. It causes psychological distress. Our minds can't handle it. We cannot handle uh, believing one thing and doing another. Our minds can't handle it. And so it, it causes psychological distress. And it causes people statistically, statistically it causes people to run from God. So, so what happens is people stop reading their Bible. And they stop praying. They stop going to church. They stop hanging out with the people of God. They withdraw, they withdraw, they withdraw. And then over time, they eventually, they just withdraw from the faith. See, what has happened is you come to a point, your mind can't handle this duplicity. And so you come to a point in your life where you, you think, I either have to abandon what I believe or I have to stop doing what I'm doing. And statistically, what most people do, and when I say people, I mean Christians. This is a study on Christians, our church. Statistically, what people do is they... They don't stop what they're doing. They stop believing what they say they believe. They change their beliefs, not their behavior. And they run from God. See, something has to give. And I'm afraid that some of us are in that space right now, moping around in shame and regret. Like, of course you should be sorry for your sin, of course. Uh, If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You can't walk in darkness. That's going to mess you up. But at the same time, if if that that sorrow over sin leads into like depression, guilt ridden, self pity, then I would say that you have forgotten Galatians chapter three, that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you beat yourself up over your sin over and over and over again, and you wallow in self-pity and depression, and it overcomes you and causes you to withdraw from others, you're telling Jesus your sacrifice wasn't enough. You've become a modern-day Judaizer. Yes, Jesus, I need your forgiveness, but also I need to add to it. I need to punish myself You have forgotten what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 when he said, There is therefore now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have forgotten. But do not be deceived. I cannot leave here without giving you a warning. There is a warning here in this text. I stand here and I tell you, grace is free. Justification by faith and not works. And I wonder if there's anyone in the room who would use that as a license. Like, we can't keep God's law, so we'll just make our own and try to keep that. 
That makes us a law keeper when we try to justify ourselves. We say things like, I deserve this. Or, I don't deserve that. Or, I'm forced to make this choice because of the way I was treated. Or, my, my circumstances were unique. Yes, I know what God says about this is pretty black and white, but, but I, I, it doesn't apply to me. Or, or at worst, God forbid this be anyone's attitude in the room, although I think all of us will fall into it at some point. I know God's against it, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know that he'll forgive me. This self-justification is wickedness. It's also a form of law-keeping. I didn't like God's law, so I'll just make my own and keep that and feel good about myself. The doctrines of man. The, Jew, the Jews would do this. The, the Jews, they, they would write laws to help them keep the laws. They would write laws that would help them keep the law. But they would also write laws to help them not keep the laws they didn't want to keep. So honor your father and mother. They would write some technicalities in that would prevent them from having to honor their father and mother. They, they didn't want to love their neighbor, so they would write in some technicalities to kind of prevent them from having to love their neighbor. And Jesus Jesus responded to this in the Gospels. Jesus was actually a name-caller. We tell our kids, don't be name-callers. Jesus was a name-caller. You know what Jesus called them? One of the things he called the Pharisees? He said, you are whitewashed tombs. Oh, you look pretty on the outside, all clean and dressed up on the inside, but what do you have on the inside? Death. Is that anybody in here? Oh, you come to church all cleaned up, buttoned up. You got your cup of coffee. You smile and sing the songs, the ones you like. You go to ABF, you answer a few questions. You got a prayer request about somebody who's sick in your life or something. Oh, you're all cleaned up on the outside, but when... When somebody looks, looks deep into your soul, what you have is death. Is that anybody in here? We have the appearance of godliness, but all we have is death on the inside. And I think sometimes our excuse, our, our, our thought process is, well, God will forgive me of the wickedness that I'm walking in, the duplicity that I'm walking in. God will forgive me. I'm about to say something, do something that I never thought I would do on a platform, but it's happening. Uh, <laughs> on The Bachelorette, <laughs> I don't watch that show. Um, this was all said to me by someone who shall remain. He shall uh, be nameless. Uh, he will. Um, so on The Bachelorette, I don't watch the show, and I'm going to... I'm going to share something that took place. If uh, if you try to come up and correct me, like, actually, here's what happened. I'm, like, I don't, please don't. I don't care. I, <laughs> I really don't. Uh, but on The Bachelorette, apparently, the if you don't know what the show is, it's a young lady who all the contestants on the show are people that she might want to spend the rest of her life with. And so they uh, go through these series of dates and, I don't know, feats of strength. I don't really know. I don't watch the show. <laughs> uh so at the end, they narrow it down to one that she's going to spend the rest of her life with. It's just a terrible idea. Um, 
But anyway, apparently this uh, young lady is, is pretty vocal that she is a follower of Jesus. Uh, it's this season right now. I, please don't go watch it. It's terrible. Don't go watch it. Um, but she's a believer in Jesus, and uh, she's vocal about it. And yet, in her life, she is currently doing things in her life that followers of Jesus cannot do. And one of the contestants on the show, this young man, is also a Christian, and he's vocal about it. And he confronted her about it. And he basically said, you're, you're living in moral incongruence. You say that these things are important, but you're doing the opposite willfully. You can't, you can't do that. And you know what her response is? Jesus will forgive me. That, that pretty much defines our culture, right? And we, we point the finger and like, oh, what a terrible person. But how many of us, lit, we might maybe not say that, but that's, we're living it. Jesus will forgive me. I'm good. That, that's the doctrine of man. We've, we've drawn our own new law. As long as I stay in these bounds, if I miss it a little bit, Jesus will forgive me. I, I can kind of do what I want. That's the danger. That's the warning. Now, we, we stand up here and we say, grace is free, and it is. And justification is by faith only, and it is. And you don't have to keep a list of rules to make God love you. And that's so true. But maybe some of us in the room are saying, okay, great. So let's keep on sinning because grace will abound all the more. Jesus will forgive me. And Paul, in in a different letter in the book of Romans, he obliterates that thinking. He says, may it never be. May it never be. How could you be alive to Christ and alive also to sin? You can only be, if you're alive to Christ and you are dead to sin, how, how could this be? If you go about your life walking in sin with the attitude, well, Jesus will forgive me. I wonder if you really understand grace at all. That Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. How did He do that? By hanging upon a tree. When we walk in sin and say, Jesus will forgive me, that means that we're good with just crucifying Him all over again. We don't care about His sacrifice. We don't mind His suffering again as long as we get to do what makes us happy. Jesus will figure out the rest. Listen to me. This is it. Listen to me. But when someone looks on Christ in faith, that changes everything. You, you understand. You, you read Galatians 3 and you get what Paul's saying. You understand. You, you, you agree. All who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. That's me. I'm under a curse. I can't keep the law perfectly. I'm in big trouble. I'm guilty. I have no hope in myself. I have nothing that I can stand before God and say, look, I'm innocent. But then you keep reading the text. And you get to verse 13. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Yes, I'm hopeless in myself. Yes, I can't do it. I have failed. I am broken. My mission control is all out of whack. But Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. All we have to do is to look to Him in faith. All we have to do is reach out and grab the fringe of His garment. I don't have to be buttoned up cleaned up, whitewashed, 
when I come to church. I don't have to have it all put together for God to receive me. Did you know that God is not in love with some future version of you? Like he has this ideal of what you're supposed to be and that's the person that God loves? No, God loves you as you are now. In, in, in the filth and the muck that you're in now, God loves you now. And before he sent Jesus, he knew how you would fail. Before he sent Jesus, he knew where you would walk and the choices you would make and the excuses you would have for it. And yet he still sent his son for you. God loves you now as you are, not some future version of yourself. And he wants you now in this moment to turn to him. Not later when you go home. Not, not later after you've gone home to talk to somebody about it and to think about it some more. Not after you've gone home to clean some things up first. I need to have these conversations first. No, now. Now. Turn to him now. Reach out. Take hold of the gift that he has offered. Like the woman who interrupted Jesus while he was on his way to do something else. Bring your filthiness, your anxiety, your hurt, your lust, your anger, your pride, your selfishness. Take all of that and give it to Christ. He's not injured by it. He's not wounded by it. He's already been crucified for it. And it's not that he's made unclean. It's that you are made well. And so I'm pleading with you now, look to Christ and live. The question then is who here will respond to this call to faith? The band's going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song and here's how we'll respond. The temptation is for you to, as soon as I say amen in this prayer, is for you to check out, either walk out or just mentally check out. What I want you to do now is I want, to, I want you to consider which path you're walking on. It is, is it a path of law and rule-keeping, whether it's the law in the Bible or the law that you're making up? Or is it the way of faith? Some of you have never trusted in Christ. You've come to church. You've been a part of a church. You may have even been baptized, but you've never trusted in Christ. Today's the day. Now is the day of salvation. Do it now. Trust in the Lord Jesus now. Now we're going to have a time of prayer. If you're an elder or prayer team, you can come forward in a minute. And if you would just like somebody to pray over you in that moment, um, you can come forward for prayer. Some of you might just need to stay in your seat and respond to the Lord right where you're at. And the other option that you have in this response time is to stand and sing. We're going to sing a song that gives glory to Jesus for what he has done and all that he has accomplished. And one way that you might respond is to sing as loud as you can. To give him the glory that he deserves for what he has earned by becoming the curse for us. So let's stand together. I'm going to pray. You respond.